Hello there and welcome to the We Are Imps podcast. We've got a big guest for you this week. He's the joint all-time top scorer for the US men's national team. He became the MLS's leading all-time top scorer back in 2014. He's been named in the division's team of the year more than anyone else. He scored five goals in FIFA World Cups. He's represented Everton in the Premier League. And now, amongst other things, he's a strategic advisor for us here at Lincoln City. It is, of course... Landon Donovan. Landon, lovely to see you. Really appreciate your time. Um, it is great to have you on the podcast. Give us an insight into whereabouts in the world, and I presume you're in the USA right now, but whereabouts <laughs> in the US you are today. Yeah, thanks for the intro, Sam. I am in San Diego, where I live. Um, been traveling a bit lately, but nice to be home and nice to be here with you. Oh, top man. Um, and give us an insight into the weather as well. Make us jealous. <laughs> Well, it's a bit, uh, I would say, English outside right now. It's overcast, but it's uh, trying to think in Celsius, probably about 20 degrees outside. Okay, that's still that's still pretty good going. <laughs> uh, listen, Landon, those records that I mentioned before, they speak for themselves. Do you allow yourself, when looking back on your career, to to reminisce and and have a think about what you've achieved or are you all about looking forward yeah i don't for whatever reason i'm i don't really look back um in fact i don't i don't look back at all um i've got you know a family three children so you don't have time to uh to do anything except take care of them and i'm also i'm i'm a supremely driven human being so I'm always thinking about what's next and it's not that I'm not proud of what I've accomplished um that I don't appreciate it I'm just I'm always thinking about what's next yeah and we'll come on to that shortly I guess so often you can split players or former players into two categories can't you the ones that that have regrets on their career and the ones that don't when you do look back on yours are the things that you wished you'd achieved or do you feel like you did absolutely everything that you that you wanted to in football well i trust that the world's happening the way it's supposed to so you know i, I believe i wouldn't have in the long term scheme been a part of this project at lincoln city if everything hadn't gone the way it went so i don't it's not that i regret things um, I could have, from a, an objective observer standpoint, I'm using air quotes, achieved more um, in some ways, but I, I, I was able to do what I did, um, enjoy the sport I loved. I got to live close to my home and help build a league here in America, um, all, while, all while playing a sport I, I loved playing as a kid. And so... I could never, ever, ever have imagined that it would turn out that way, given where I started. And so I'm, I'm very, very much at peace with the way my career went. How did you cope with the, the fame, the adulation, the pressure that came with being captain of your country? You mentioned there as well, you played such a pivotal part in building the MLS, the growth of, of soccer in the United States, but I've also heard yourself, I've have heard you in the past describe yourself as an introvert. So it's mm -hmm. a, it's almost an oxymoron there that there's that part of you that is introverted, but then there's the other part of you that, you know, has almost the weight of your country on your shoulders. Yeah, it was, 
it was challenging. It's a good question because I didn't, I didn't play soccer, football for all of those other things. I just played because I loved it. And it's, it's different. You know, I played with David Beckham, who was also the captain of England. The pressure of being the captain of England certainly at that time was much different than being the captain of the American national team. So I, it, it was uncomfortable at times, but I, there's no way I could compare that to what um, other international footballers who are captains have to deal with. But for someone who didn't want to be out um, in the media, in the press, out doing events, it was challenging at times and, and it would sap a lot of my energy, you know, being on and having to be an ambassador was, was draining, but I also knew that was part of the job. Um, we were all from media, fans, executives, players, coaches, we were all trying to build the sport in our country. And that was just one of the responsibilities that you had to deal with. Yeah, you mentioned David Beckham there. I presume when he joined LA Galaxy, there were things that he wanted to, to learn from you and glean information from you because, you know, you were so au fait with the league. And for him, it was very much a, a step into the unknown, if you like. So, you know, what were the personality differences there? Well, the, the biggest challenge for David was that he had been at some of the biggest clubs and one of the biggest national teams in the world. And he had always been successful. So if you think back to his career, well, I mean, we can go through his whole career, but you know, Madrid, United, England, Milan, those were all incredibly successful teams. I don't know the statistics, but he probably won 80 plus percent of the games he played in at those clubs and with the national team. And then he came to an LA Galaxy team that was in last place in a league that was inferior to anything he'd ever noticed or have ever been a part of. And so I, when I put myself in his shoes, trying to deal with that must have been unbelievably frustrating. And that's why the beginning years were challenging for him and for all of us, um, because he had come to such a bad team and what his expectations were in his previous clubs were just massively different. Landon, you were one of the early advocates, if you like, for mental health within football and I presume that goes for mental health within sport in the USA as well why did you take it upon yourself almost to speak up about something that certainly even back then and we're not exactly talking about a long time ago but even back then was seen as I don't want to use the word taboo but a, a subject that was really difficult to talk about and a, a subject that a lot of people had difficulty um it's the word not relaying to, but in public, openly um, agreeing with you about, for want of a better phrase. So what were the reasons behind that? Well, not not just soccer and sports, but in life, right? Um, I didn't, it was never conscious to say, I am going to go out there and speak about mental health so that, you know, other people can feel safe to do so. I I just had gone through lots and lots of, challenging times dealing with depression and I had had lots and lots of therapy to work on myself and understand where it came from what it looks like how to deal with it and so when it came up naturally in conversation either in in public or through the media I didn't have any problem speaking about it because it wasn't that dramatic for me um, it wasn't like I had just realized it 
and I was ashamed of it. I had gone through all of the therapy and processing to understand what it was. So it was easy for me to speak about, but it was never a conscious, intentional decision to say, you know, I'm going to be the one who can, who can speak about this. It just wasn't that big of a deal to me because I had gone through all of it. Now, my learning and all that is that just because I had gone through all the work doesn't mean everybody has. And so for a lot of people, it was way more challenging to speak about publicly. And that's why I received many, 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 many messages from people saying thank you for being able to speak about that because it's hard for me to do the same. The subsequent therapy that, that you had was obviously in line with, with the pivotal part of your career as well. What benefits did you see from that? Mm -hmm. Yes, I could ask you about the benefits you saw personally, but I'll ask you about the benefits that you saw on the pitch having you well, know, undertaken therapy. I don't think there's any doubt that when your life is at peace off the field, you're going to play better on, on the pitch, right? So we've all seen players at every level who you can tell there's just something not right with them. There's something going on. And maybe, you know, maybe they broke up with a significant other. Maybe someone died in their life. Maybe they're just dealing with something personally. But that affects your performance. You're human. There's no way you can 100% block that out every time you play. Maybe mostly, but not all the time. And so it was, um, it was really important for my just life in general, forget about football. It was important for my life in general, if I was going to have a healthy and peaceful rest of my life to make sure that I address this. And the benefit then on the pitch was that I was just way more at peace. And I could I could go out and perform at a high level because I was I was also happy off the field. So those are absolutely tied together. Um, my physical, my body actually just got healthier because I was able to let go of things and not hold on to stress and tension that I had had before. So it just made me a better football. Do you think the players are more self aware now? Uh, I'll give you a chance to to take a drink. I hope so. Yeah, um, you know, do you think the players are? And, and that could be down to a number of reasons that we could we could delve into. But, you know, I'll use Lincoln as the example now. When you are speaking with, with members of or other members of the club, for instance, is this something that is taken to account now? And do you think players are starting to see the benefit of it? Well, I can't speak, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm in the locker room every day and speaking to players every day. But I think just a general society is more open to, speaking about it, um, being honest about it. And, you know, in our day, there was, and certainly in previous generations, uh, it was, you know, quit whining, get on with it. And, you know, there's an element in sports that that's important, right? You have to just get on with things because it's sports are unforgiving and brutal. Um, but there's also a very human side that if if you're just speaking from a competitive standpoint, it's much better for every club in the world to make sure a player's mental well-being is healthy because it'll make them perform better, right? If you're just looking at it from a business or on the football field. So now if you're looking at it from a human being standpoint, it's even more important than that. But um, it's, it's certainly more in the uh, public conscience now. Social media actually helps that, right? Because it it magnifies that and people who do speak about it, um, it gets spread throughout the world when high profile people speak about that. 
So I think that's important. And my guess is that everywhere in England is no different than the rest of the world where it's becoming more and more accepted to speak about and to get help. Yeah, here, here. Um, Lannan, there's so much to talk about. Uh, and for those listening, we will get on to, to Lincoln City shortly. But I want to ask you about basically your time at Bayer Leverkusen, because you joined them at, at such a, a young age. I think it was, was it 17 or 18? Either yeah, I just turned, just turned 17. Just turned 17. So even younger than I thought. And you you joined that club at a time where they're absolutely flying. They're flying now, of course, under Xabi Alonso. But at the time, we're talking Champions League finalists, a big club in Germany as well. That is a young age to move to not only a different country, but a different continent as well. How did you cope with those challenges? And maybe what advice would you give for young players that are looking to to move abroad? Hopefully not any young players at Lincoln that are looking to move away from it. <laughs> but still, you know, what, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, you have to remember, Sam, at, at that time, and I, you wouldn't be as aware of it, but in America at that time, nobody knew anything about world football. I mean, very few people in the late 90s knew, in America, knew who Bayer Leverkusen was. So, you know, in, in England, you had just decades and decades, if not centuries of history and understanding the sport. But for us, it was still so new. So when I first got approached, I was at a youth international tournament in Austria and I got approached by a gentleman just on the side of the side of the field. He said, I'm from Bayer Leverkusen and we're interested in signing. I mean, that's the way it happened back then, right? A guy would just walk up to you after the game. Um, and so I had no idea when he said Bayer Leverkusen. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know what it was. I had, I had no idea what he was talking about. So for me, it's not, um, it's not like I had this crazy dream of going and playing football internationally at a young age. My biggest dream was to get to play in college because that would mean I could get a scholarship potentially and my parents wouldn't have to pay for college. So it just kind of happened. You know, sometimes I say, I didn't choose football, football chose me. And because I was good at it and I played, it was like, okay, well, the, the under 17 national team wants to bring you into camp. So, okay. Bayer Leverkusen want to sign you. Okay. You know, now the national team wants to call you in. Okay. I mean, I, it's not like I had these vivid dreams and this laid out plan. It just kind of happened. So it's different, much, much different now, but to answer your question directly, at the time, it was difficult being an American who, especially growing up in Southern California, where you see the sun every day, going to a pretty cold, um, darker part of Germany, right? I mean, it was a, it's an industrial town, Leverkusen, but it was really good for me long term. And in the short term, it didn't work out. I didn't play as much as I wanted, but growing as a human being in that way was really, really good for me. And, and it just helped build resiliency, which helped me a lot in my career. Uh, and that career also included playing in three World Cups, 2002, 2006, 2010. The obvious question is, what was that like as an experience? And, you know, we've talked a little bit about pressure as well uh, previously. So if you want to go back and, and talk about that again, absolutely fine. But maybe other elements as well. The experience is three very different countries that hosted FIFA World Cups. And of course, 
you being the main man and scoring five goals in that time as well. Yeah, so again, to talk, just speak about what I just said. So I never dreamed of playing in a World Cup because I didn't, I never watched World Cups growing up. I didn't, I didn't know what it was um, in, in the same way that a young kid in Lincoln knows what a World Cup is now or even at that time. So as I progressed and I got closer to potentially being a part of a World Cup, it opened my eyes to what that is right and and how special that could be but i think part of the part of the reason i was able to be successful is i hadn't known what it was since 4 years old and been look watching and understanding all the pressures and everything that happens and comes with that i was just excited to go play this massive game on the world stage and i didn't have to think about well what if i fail i remember watching in 2002 when england didn't blah 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 or america didn't you know, in 98, when America didn't qualify out of our group, I didn't have any of those scars. I just got to go play. And there was, there's a huge benefit to that. Now that'll never happen again for a kid in America or probably anywhere else in the world. But to me, that was a huge benefit because I could just go play without worrying about the what ifs, if there was failure. It's, it's so interesting listening to you talk both about the Leverkusen move and the World Cups, because you forget how quick that footballers' careers are. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is everything almost happened so quickly that you perhaps didn't, well, you certainly didn't get an opportunity to plan it, and maybe you didn't even get a chance to take it in at the time. But you also, and forgive me if I'm wrong, strike me as a um, deep thinker who does plan things so i'm just wondering where the now <laughs> yeah now so is is that something you've developed or is it is there a connection between the two because i guess some players lay out their careers they know exactly what they want to achieve you achieve right. so much um you know is there a connection between the two or is oh you had to grow personally yeah, one of my faults is that i don't plan long term and and that is a that is it's it's a blessing and a fault Um, I live very present years of therapy and having self-awareness and meditating help me live very present. Now that sometimes hurts me because I don't have a long-term plan laid out for what I'm going to do in life. Um, And a lot of people do, and they're successful because of that. But I think not having that long-term outlook just allowed me to lit literally go to training every day, take care of my body because I wanted to be ready for the next day of training. And that was all that mattered. And I wanted to be ready for the game on Saturday. And that's, that's the way I viewed things. And, and, you know, I view things now similarly where, you know, this afternoon I go pick up my kids from school. I'm thinking about what I want to do with them, uh, what we're doing for dinner and, you know, kind of getting through the day in that way. It, it doesn't mean I don't look ahead and I don't think about things and, but early in my life, it was very much just living very present in day to day. Now, of course, there are things you have to plan as an adult and you have to think through, but I, I still much prefer to be very much in the present. Um, it allows me, you know, we talked about earlier, I don't look back uh, unless I'm going to learn from something. I don't, there's not a ton of value in that. Sometimes it's enjoyable to go watch an old video or something of a goal or things like that. But for the most part, I'm trying to be present and and moving forward totally agree i hate planning um <laughs> uh 
Right, June 2021, you're named as a strategic advisor uh, at Lincoln City. For those that don't know the story, could you give us a, a bit of an insight, a bit of a summary as to how it all came about? And then I'll ask you about, you know, what you've learned from the role so far, I guess. Yeah, so I I was coaching at San Diego Loyal. Um, and I had come across a an agent, um, an Israeli agent named Raphael Geller, who had helped us with a player and was just, I'd gotten to know him and really liked him. And he reached out to me one day and said, hey, I have an interesting um, club that is looking for investment. Is there anybody you know in the States who might be interested? And the timing was really interesting because Prior to that, I had met Harvey Jabera and his family, Missy, and, and at that time, Jensen. I hadn't met, met Jackson yet. And I had really got to know them and really grown to like them. I helped Jensen a little bit out with some training and in his career before he went to college and just had really fallen in love with this, this beautiful family that also lived here in San Diego. And Harvey, through our discussions, had said he, he was constantly looking for a club he could invest in, in Europe. But of all the ones that had come across his desk, it just, nothing ever felt right. So I, I started to understand how much, how obsessed Harvey was becoming with international football. And he's this guy from the mid Midwest who grew up watching baseball and football and basketball. But he would tell me, he would sit on, um, you know, we have ESPN Plus here. That, that shows tons of just international football from leagues across Europe. And he would just sit and watch these games. And I thought it was so bizarre that this, you know, middle-aged, middle-American man was watching football games, but he was really falling in love with the sport. So Raphael, the agent, um, set me up with Clive to get on a call and just, just to get to know Clive a little bit. Um, I wanted to sort of... I knew Harvey well. I didn't know Clive at all. I wanted to see if the two of them might get along. And within three minutes of speaking to Clive, I knew it was perfect. I just knew Harvey is a, uh, an incredible human being. He's full of integrity and he's just a good man. He's a really good man. And I could feel the same immediately from Clive, someone who cares, who loves the club and who does things the right way. And so we all agreed that it, we should connect them to and um, whatever, three, almost three years later, um, Harvey will tell me it's the most pain I've ever caused him <laughs> having to, to watch these football games on Saturday with, a, with this kind of interest in it. But no, he's loved every step of the way. And it's been really, see, it's been really fun to see all the relationships grow. Yeah, I'm just wondering who knew more about Everton, you or Clive? Clive, by a million miles. <laughs> he would say, he said to me in one of our first conversations, he said, um, did you play with a guy named Dennis Strocklorossi? I can't even say his name. And I'd say, how the hell do you know who that is? And I just realized quickly that Clive watches every game from Everton and has for much longer than I, than I had. So he's a massive Everton fan. Yeah, it doesn't miss a trick. Yeah, and as for Harvey, I mean, you've summed it up there. I've, I've, I've not 
had the pleasure of meeting Harvey, but obviously, you know, heard fantastic things from whoever has spoken with him. You mentioned there about the fact that it's the most pain, you know, being a part, being whether it's a, being a football fan, being a part of a football club. It is it is the the emotional roller coaster that comes with it, but I guess it's what makes the sport and being involved in the club so addictive, if you like. That's right. Well, it's it gives you it just gives you life, right? You have something real to to focus on and care about. And when you're a you know very successful businessman like Harvey, everything um it seems to me everything he does in his business world is sort of black and white and it has a really defined purpose and it's to help um, his family succeed on a business front. But you don't have the emotional connection to any of those deals the way you do to a football club. And it's why people in America fall in love with this sport when they really get to know it. You, you've known it forever. You've grown up with it. Generations and generations of People in Lincoln have grown up with the club and fallen and, and been in love with the club forever. But now he gets to feel what that feels like. And once an American sports fan sees that, they realize that there's no sport in our country that elicits that kind of passion and emotion. It just doesn't. So it's really cool to be a part of. It's obviously very painful at times, but um, the good moments make it all worth it. And just on America, this is a Good, from what I can see anyway, this is a good time to establish a network, if you like, or, or build relationships with, with the country, with the continent, whichever way you want to look at it, because of what is happening in the sport. And I know we've been talking about the growth of, of, of American soccer for, for a long time now, but we literally have a World Cup there on the horizon. And then we have seen the benefits of what having um, relationships and network with the United States can do for football back here as well. So this is this is yeah. something that has been well thought out from both parties, I presume. There is that romantic element to it, which is great, but this is also a business that should hopefully benefit everyone. Yeah, I think ultimately the goal for everyone involved is that it's best for Lincoln City for and for its fans. Um, Clive and Liam and Jez... David, et cetera, everyone who's been involved for such a long time have done such a great job of getting the club now to this point. And I hope people don't forget that. It's really unique and rare what they've done. But everyone's ambitious, right, and wants to keep growing. And there's no doubt that Americans have are paying attention to English football, even especially lower league football. Um, and are starting to invest real resources in, in clubs. So the beauty of Harvey is I've been around a lot, a lot of, um, people who either have interest in investing in English football who are Americans or have invested in English football. And unfortunately, the majority of them give us a bad name. Um, because they don't understand that the fans own the football club emotionally. You can write a check and be the business person behind it, but the fans own the club. And that's a really hard concept for Americans to understand. In the NFL, the fans are not the, you know, they feel like the emotional owner of the club, 
but in a in a sort of peripheral way it's not in a real way but in in european football and english football they actually own the club and there's a connection that no amount of money will ever change and harvey understands that you know we've talked about that for a long time his son jensen has made that clear to him over time and he really gets that clive gets that very very clearly and so that's what makes Harvey so unique. And I've seen it go the other way up close. And it's, it's really ugly to see. And in some cases, clubs have been destroyed because of it. And Harvey will, will not allow that to happen. You touched on it a little bit there. I just want to dive in a bit deeper in terms of the way the club is run. Because as obvious, it is, as, obvious as it is to say, you've played all over the world at some very big clubs and been involved in obviously big organizations having been a part of this club now for for a good few years do you get the sense that things are being done in the right way that things are trying to be done in the right way and what have you learned from that unequivocally um it start in any organization but i've seen it i know it through the sports lens successful organizations have the following formula a really good owner or owners who do not get too involved in what happens on the field or the pitch or the ice or whatever, but are supportive, financially supportive, emotionally supportive, and let people do their job, right? So that's where it starts. Then you have to have high level executives who are really competent and good at what they do. So you have Clive and Jay and David and Harvey and everyone else involved at the sort of ownership level, board level. And then you have Liam and Jez who are elite at what they do. So you have those two players and then you need obviously a good head coach or manager and then it filters to the players, but you can't, it's very rare that you have really good players and a manager with really poor leadership team and ownership and have success. Very, very rare, maybe for a year or two, but over the long term, that doesn't happen. So when you have stability in all those areas, you're going to be successful. And so even when there are patches that aren't great, um, even, you know, the current patch over the last few months, that's been a little rocky, you know that it's going to be fine because you have stable leadership and people who are competent at what they do. And that's, that's why I love being a part of Lincoln City. And as a former forward yourself, uh, you get that sense now, having seen essentially three players come in that provide attacking options as well. Do you do you see this second part of the season as a really exciting time? Certainly, at the time of recording, we've not long played against Derby. Yes, no goals, but it was a really, really strong attacking performance with intent. Do you get that feeling? Because yeah. you, know, you know better than most what it's like to to be an attacker. Yeah, and I have the I have the view of a manager now too a little bit, and so for Michael we'll start there. So for for Michael, challenges you come in the middle of the season, the the team has had a permanent coach and then an interim coach, and now you, and so their heads are spinning because they've got so much information in their heads, and for Michael trying to navigate getting results and started get, getting the team to start to understand how he wants to play and how he views football is a really, really challenging balance to get right. 
And I think the, the break where the uh, 11 or 12 days between games at the beginning of January really, really helped so they could just start to build something. Um, everyone wants results to come, but I think long-term Michael feels like the right, the right guy for the job. Everyone has said that and in, in just watching him. And now he has the ability to start to put his imprint on, on the club. The challenge for Michael has been, the lack of attacking options, right? And in at any level, you can be really good all over the field if you don't have players at the top of the field who can who can score. Um, it's really challenging, and that's why those players get paid the most, right? Because it's the hardest thing to do in our sport. So, um, getting players in, getting players back, you know, once Ben's back, um, be a massive lift. Getting Freddie back, you have to imagine that. Uh, it's only a matter of time until the team gets on a bit of a run and, and really starts flying. And I think it's it's right on the horizon, and we're all hoping it comes quickly. And you yourself, you get an opportunity to watch the games. I know we've seen on Instagram, oh, yeah. your, your your family are donned out with the uh, with the red and white stripes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I um sometimes painfully and sometimes joyously watch seven a.m. in the morning here. Sometimes six a.m. or eight a.m. depending on time of year, but. 7 a.m. Harvey and I are um, an hour flight away from each other, but we're interacting on WhatsApp and talking through the matches and watching them and supporting them just like any fan would. And in terms of 2024, Landon, are we going to be seeing a bit of you around the streets of Lincoln? We know that you're a busy man, but obviously yeah. no no longer apart with San Diego Loyal, but it's obviously you've got the hoodie there as well. There are, are still obviously big relationships in the, in the city as well, but are we going to be seeing you... Yeah. In Lincoln. Yeah, the plan is to come out um, mid-April, end of April, right for the end of the season. Uh, I think Harvey's going at that time too. So that's the current plan. Um, and hopefully it's a good end of the season so we can see uh, see some success. Well, we look forward to seeing you then, Landon. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the We Are Imps podcast. Really appreciate your time. Cheers, Sam. Appreciate it.